Well, good afternoon, everyone. The H1B Guy here, and today, the H1B Guy Live, January 26th, 2022. Today, I'm going to do an H1B lottery for fiscal year 2023 preview, and also talk about USCIS's advice to the green card backlog on transferring their adjustment of status. But before we get started, I'd like to ask you, if you haven't already, to please subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and like this video so that I can continue to produce more content like this for you. I also wanted to mention the H1B Guy offers a variety of consulting services. I help businesses and individuals solve complex work authorization issues in the recruitment process while bringing awareness to employment-based immigration benefits. If I can help you, please reach out. I'd love to hear how. And you can book an appointment directly with me via the h1bguy.com. Today's live stream is brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain, and by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex PERM recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. Links to both of those can be found in the description below, so please don't hesitate to check out that and see if you qualify and if perm-ads.com uh, can help you, uh, as well as the good folks at Syndesis and Path to Canada. We thank you for their continued partnership. Well, this week I've had the privilege of attending the World Staffing Summit uh, put on by the folks at Candidate Lee and Gustav. Uh, it's still going on this week as there are, it's really become a global summit. Last year was, was the first version. This is the second iterative. And uh, a lot of cool discussions around talent acquisition, uh, candidate attraction, automation, and everything in between. And I've learned a lot this week and, and had the opportunity to listen to some really great presenters and actually had the opportunity to interact and meet with employers um, who potentially could have issues and require my assistance in looking to uh, solve their employment-based uh, issues as it relates to recruitment. And so, you know, always looking forward to opportunities to network with individuals like that. And it's just a good reminder um, that if you're an employer or an individual and you're trying to weigh the risk and reward of uh, considering sponsorship, or you're an individual who's working for an employer who needs direction and considering sponsorship, um, you know, that's one of really my core competencies in terms of, of my consulting services is to help uh, employers evaluate uh, the the pros and the cons and, and honestly weigh the expense uh, versus the time to recruit. And so a um, lot of cool stuff at the World Staffing Summit. Of course, I'm assuming they will be putting out some of the content here on YouTube at a future date. So you guys can, can all check that out. Um, also wanted to take some time here to, to do a bit of an H-1B lottery preview for fiscal year 2023. Uh, of course, I did a video about a month ago um, talking about the H-1B lottery for fiscal year 2023 and, and what you need to know and did some basic parameters. 
Um, of course, you know, lottery conversation uh, dominates a lot of the content on this channel because that is the primary way for high skilled immigrants uh, looking to come to the U.S. or currently in the U.S. to obtain uh, valid work authorization. And so, uh, of course, with that being said, the lottery is a big part of that random selection. Uh, back in 2020, we went to the electronic selection, uh, which I've covered a good bit, which created really unprecedented application rates, uh, 275,000 in the first um, version of the electronic selection process. And then in this past year, uh, March of 2021, we saw over 308,000. Uh, so, you know, again, if we go back and look at some of my predictions, I don't see where this year is going to be any different. Uh, we really are in a status quo, if you will, for the electronic uh, selection process for the HCAP lottery for fiscal year 2023. Uh, but there was an article put out on um, one of the, the law firm aggregate sites, and this was written by law firm uh, Tonkin and Torp, and it's titled uh, Fiscal Year 2023 uh, H-1B Cap Registration, What You Need to Know. And I uh, thought that was an interesting title considering I put out a video a few weeks ago with a similar title. Um, but I think that there's some, some good information that's included here. And so the article says, quote, registrations for fiscal year 2023 H-1B quota must be submitted electronically to USCIS in March of 2022. USCIS will designate a registration period shortly which should be a minimum two-week window. Post-registration period based on past demand, decreased costs associated with the electronic registration system, and the current labor market, a lottery will very likely be held for registrations received. Registrations will likely be reviewed and a lottery held immediately prior to April 1st, 2022 to permit filings to begin on or about that date. If selected pursuant to the electronic registration process, lottery employers will be provided 90 days to file an H-1B petition. And depending on the number of variables, additional waitlist registration selections may be made later for the fiscal year. These additional selections are announced if and when they're made. So I think that, that this is, um, you know, an, an interesting little insight here into um, more of the timeline. We've, we've been talking about the timeline, you know, a good bit.
can't hear me. My microphone has gone out. Looks like I'm good. Test. Can you hear me now? Test one, test two. Is the audio back? Okay. Sorry, guys. Not sure what happened there. Um, thank you for letting me know in the chat, all of you. Really appreciate that. Uh, what I was saying, though, kind of going back to the the lottery time frame, um, when we look at, uh, at the article, um, it, it says that we should know something pretty soon. And so my point back to the, the video that I posted back about a month ago um, for the H-1B lottery for fiscal year 2023, what you need to know, um, you know, it, it comes back to the time frame. And as I mentioned, there was a comment left on my channel uh, that said that the account access was um, February 24th through potentially March 1st. If we go back to November, when I first started talking about the H-1B lottery, I was talking about when the portal would open up. And that is, uh, I thought, March 7th through March 25th. Uh, and then that would allow for employers to um, submit beginning April 1st, right? And so this article right here kind of um, cir co correlates and parallels to that. And, and what I mean by that is USCIS still hasn't come out and said, exactly when the portal is going to open. But I think if we look at historically speaking over the last couple of years, uh, the beginning of March is a really good indicator. Um, and and then as the, this article alluded to, it mentions two weeks potentially as the time frame. I think they'll have it open a little bit longer than that. Um, but again, what does that mean for you? If, if you're with an employer who's considering sponsorship, or you're, if you're an employer who is looking to sponsor, uh, now is the time. Uh, we are almost to the end of January. I always say when the, the calendar turns to February 1st, that means that it is full-on H-1B lottery season for immigration attorneys and for employers who do in-house counsel and, and also do sponsorship. Um, so... One of the things that I thought was really interesting, and, and I just want to reread this so that it is clear to everyone and understand um, some of the history around the H-1B lottery. And it, it says, uh, based on the past demand, decreased costs associated with the electronic registration system uh, in current labor market, a lottery will very likely be held for registrations received. So for those of you who are only accustomed to the electronic selection process, we used to submit paper lottery applications. And the way that was done is that it was put into FedEx for next day delivery on April 1st. And the reason being is that it was a first come first serve basis until the maximum allotment was received. And then if more than the allotment was received, that is then when they went to a random selection. So literally you would see where the, the paper, the, per, the prior paper applications 
Um, April 1st would be the beginning of when USCIS would begin accepting these paper H-1B applications. Uh, and then the portal, the lottery, generally we'd get an announcement about a week later saying that USCIS has received enough applications um, to fulfill demand based on the available H-1Bs, the annual allotment. Um, and so what's changed here with this electronic selection process is that USCIS is now giving employers a window of time, um, let's say March 7th through March 25th, a window of time to submit their prospective employees into the electronic portal. Now, the good news for the individual is that they can have multiple employers submit their name into the portal, but the employer can only submit that individual name once. If selected, the employee then gets to choose who they will allow to submit their full paper petition and can only have one employer do so. So there's some new complications and wrinkles, but I think what we've seen here are the duplicate submissions and what's been created around those duplicate submissions uh, and how that has exponentially increased the demand in the lottery. Uh, of course, a couple of other things just to note, right? We refer to the $10 non-refundable fee. Of course, that's the responsibility of the petitioning employer. Um, when we talk about last year where there was a second lottery held, um, and now we're into this year where we've had a third, and I've speculated about the possibility of a fourth lottery held, Um you know, we're really in sort of unprecedented times. I'm really interested to see if we go back and look at that timeline around, you know, last year, fiscal year 2022's lottery, where a second and a third lottery have been held. And I speculated that possibly a fourth could be held at some point in April. Um, you know, it, it, it looks like uh, that still remains a possibility when we look at these application rates. Um, a little over 70% for round one for fiscal year 2022, 40% for round two. I'm going to be very curious to see what round three looks like, what that data looks like for last year's lottery, which is still not finalized. Now, with all that being said, um, USCIS could very well post a news release at some point in mid-February saying that they have finalized the H-1B lottery for fiscal year 2022. Uh, kind of similar uh, correlation to or parallel to, to how they did it last year. Um, but again, when we look at what's to be expected right now, well, the expectation, if I am an individual who is seeking H-1B sponsorship um, and my employer is willing to do that, I, I need to make sure that, that that is happening right now. If I'm an employer who is looking to, to sponsor an individual, also, the, the time right now is, is critical. Not that there isn't time to get it done, but literally, um, I expect sometime in, in the matter of the next probably 10 days, uh, USCIS is going to have to make an announcement on when the H-1B lottery for fiscal year 2023 will open. Again, I expect that could happen uh, anytime over the next week, week and a half. Um, I'd be surprised if by the end of next week, 
Uh, we haven't received an update on when that portal will open up. Um, but if you're curious about a little bit more about the H-1B lottery, again, I did a video about a month ago titled H-1B lottery fiscal year 2023, what you need to know. Um, I talked a little bit about the wage rule that was a thing of the past. Of course, the electronic random selection, the historic application rates that we've seen, uh, as well as the possibility of a second and, and more even likely a third lottery. Um, so thank you to those of you who have posted questions and comments. Sorry about the audio issue earlier. I'm not sure what happened. I clicked something and it looked like it cut my mic. Uh, so really appreciate you all sharing that with me. Um, but one of the questions that, that came up and I'm just going to kind of jump around a little bit because I think it's it's valid right here. Um, is Nasreen asked, how many lotteries can we expect this year? So if we're talking about fiscal year 2023, which is yet to be held, the portal's yet to open, uh, Nasreen, I, I think at a minimum two. Uh, but if it's anything like we saw this past year and are still kind of currently going through, um, I, I think a third could still be a possibility. Again, a lot of that has to do with the duplicate submissions of the individual, the low barrier to entry, the $10 non-refundable cost for the petitioning employer to submit an individual name into the electronic selection or into the electronic portal. Uh, again, the value of the H-1B has never been higher. It's never been higher for the individual. It's never been higher for the employer. Um, we continue to see strain on talent talent demand, talent supply. Um, and again, as I alluded to earlier, the, the H-1B visa via the lottery um, is the number one manner in which high-skilled immigrants come to the U.S. for employment-based work. Um, so again, that's, that's why the conversation on this channel, a lot of it surrounds the H-1B lottery. Um, not only from an employer perspective, but for an individual perspective, there's a huge risk reward in it. But um, for me, one of the biggest changes you know, goes back to last year or really two years ago, excuse me, uh, in that that March 2020, where it's no longer required by employers to submit a full paper petition on the front end. I, I can't tell you all. Um, how tedious that is where there's physical signatures required um, for thousands of uh, documents for sponsorship. Um, the fact that this is sort of an after the fact, why did USCIS go to this? Well, it's a huge cost saving uh, mechanism for them uh, because what happened is, is if your paper petition wasn't selected and your, your checks weren't cashed, USCIS then had to return um, that package. And there's a postage that's associated with that. So there's a significant expense. Um, I think I saw a like a year ago for the first year, um, they saved almost 3 million, I believe, in postage fees for returned applications. That's a pretty significant number if you think about it. So... Um, just wanted to thank everyone who's taken the time here to jump in this live stream today. Um, did it an hour earlier this week. Just to, again, trying to make sure that, that we offer a little bit of variety in our Wednesday afternoon streams. Um, if you have questions or comments, I know that you've already, several of you have already posted questions or comments in the chat. 
please feel free. We'll um, we'll get to those here in a little bit. Um, and if you're looking for ways to support the H1B Guy platform, you can do so through the Super Chat function here on YouTube. Uh, if you're watching this at a later date or listening to this via the H1B Guy podcast, uh, you can support this platform via buymeacoffee.com slash the H1B Guy. Um, just wanted to thank everyone who continues to support this platform, um, this channel, and the H1BGuy.com. I, I can't do this without you, and I'm just very appreciative of your continued and ongoing support. Uh, so now what I wanted to do is jump into um, a news release or alert that was put out by USCIS back on January 21st um, that uh, is around uh, green cards specifically and around green card for employment-based immigrants so there was an alert that, that was put out and in really kind of a bubble up at the top that says, quote, there are an exceptionally high number of employment-based visas available this fiscal year, October 2021 through September 2022. This exceptionally high number of employment-based visas that's available and in partnership with uh, the U.S. Department of State, uh, we are committed to attempting to use all these visa numbers. Uh, there are many more visas available in the first priority workers and second workers with advanced degrees or exceptional ability employment-based categories than pending adjustment of status applications that are pending with USCIS. If you're eligible, please consider applying in the first or second employment-based preference categories. And if you have a pending adjustment of status application based in the third employment-based preference category, but also have a pending or approved petition and an available visa in the second employment-based preference category, we strongly encourage you to request that USCIS transfer the underlying basis of your pending application for the second employment-based preference category. USCIS may, in its, in its discretion, grant a transfer request if you have continuously maintained eligibility for adjustment of status, your adjustment of status application based on the original form I-140 is still pending, and you're eligible for the new immigrant category and you have a visa immediately available for you in the new immigrant category. You must request in writing that USCIS transfer your pending form I-485 from one basis to another category. For fiscal year 2022, USCIS has created a new point of contact that should be used to request a transfer of the underlying basis of employment-based form I-485s through September 30th, 2022, you may submit your written request with a completed I-45 Supplement J confirmation of bona fide job offer or request for job portability under the INA Section 204J. So this was some pretty big news, and I saw a lot of chatter that was, was coming down on this, um, you know, last week, and... Um, you know, Thin asks a good question, and, and this is why I wanted to talk about this. Uh, will transfer of underlying basis applies to EB3 to EB2 interfiling also? That's the way that I interpret it. 
Um, that's that's what this appears to me is that if you are eligible in EB2, um, but decided to downgrade into EB3 and are still pending, then you can request, um, you know, this transfer of the underlying basis. I think if we look at like, why is USCIS coming out with this? Like what's, what's the reasoning behind it? Uh, we can go back and point back to, you know, chats with Charlie episode seven. And one of the things that was, was mentioned there, and this was back in September, uh, it talked about the amount of EB3 applicants who filed last October and November. So October 2020, November 2020 is almost enough applicants to use the available worldwide preference number limit. Um, and so that's why the regression happened in, in December of 2020 and EB3, if we remember that. Um, and then we saw, again, the creep in EB3 kind of throughout the rest of last fiscal year, uh, 2021. But I think the thing that I've, I found interesting when I went back and looked at some of this information is that at, at, back in September, Charlie did not expect India EB3 final action date to reach March 2014 for fiscal year 2022. And so what we've seen is, is a fair amount of movement in EB2 preferences, specifically in India, a little bit in China, uh, both in final action and dates of filing. And a lot of those questions around, well, why is that happening? And I think the message is, is pretty clear, as, as USCIS says, and the pressure really seems to be on them. Um, and that is, they are committed to attempting to use all of these visa numbers. And while we know last year was a historically high processing rate, somewhere above 170,000, um, I've seen calculations this year vary anywhere between you know, 275,000 to 290,000 employment-based visas available. That's based on uh, spillover and, uh, you know, unused family-based preferences. Uh, so again, the, the question becomes like, why now is USCIS um, recommending, you know, the, the transfer um, on the underlying basis. And I think a lot of it comes down to, to number usage and the way that the extra, the spillover numbers um, trickle down. And so if you think about it, um, a lot of you are familiar with this, but, but really what happens is, is, is once the annual allotment is, is designated, right? The 140,000, 7% country cap, uh, limit, then what happens, anything over that number is, is a waterfall effect, right? So it starts at EB1 and those in EB1 will take those number uh, usages uh, for those that are documentarily qualified and then it will fall down to EB2. Uh, so I think what USCIS is, is forecasting and predicting here and based on this, uh, it, it feels to me like they're forecasting and predicting um, a significant uh, availability uh, for EB2 based on spillover. And then that goes back to a priority date. Uh, so this is, to me, I, I think some really good news. We've talked about interfiling a little bit here. 
Um, but when I read through this, it really comes down to it looks like you have to have the pending I-140 potentially on the downgrade. If you qualified an EB-2 or you have that, um, it looks like you can can request, um, you know, to, to, to go into that new immigrant category if that number is available, meaning your uh, your final action date or even potentially date of filing is, is current. Uh, so I think that, that that's a, a, a pretty interesting um, wrinkle, and I, I think it's raised a lot of eyebrows here. Again, though, I go back to the real question that needs to be asked here, and, and that is if 170-plus thousand, I, I believe I saw last reports, 172 to 175,000 were processed last year. Uh, by USCIS, green green cards were processed, awarded based on employment-based preferences. Is is it feasible then to think that USCIS can do more than that this year? We continue to have these uh, historic processing delays and crises um, for individuals who are filing for extensions. Uh, so, you know, it really is is an interesting um, update that we saw in the form of an alert where basically USCIS is, is coming out and telling you individuals, those of you who are currently um, have an I-140 pending and could possibly be eligible uh, for EB-2 to, to, to make sure that you're filing an EB-2 and to request in writing that your I-485 be transferred uh, from one category into another. To me, it sounds like a, a big mess, but I'll lean back to for the longest time, I wasn't a fan of the downgrade. I put out a video that honestly, I was convinced uh, during a chats with Charlie session that it was the best of both worlds. We're now seeing why that is the case, because if you would have gone through with this downgrade um, sometime in the fall and you still have your I-140 pending, here's that opportunity to, to submit in writing the transfer request. Um, and you do have that best of both worlds. So I've always felt, though, like the EB-2 category, that exceptional ability based on qualifications, uh, based on the job requirements, to me, I just always preferred that. Um, uh, no other reason than just honest opinion. Um, felt like if you had the skill set and your job required it and you qualified an EB2, why would you jump at the opportunity to downgrade? Uh, but I know many of, of you that did that in October and November and now have your EAD AP. So, you know, there's there have been pros and cons to, to seizing um, the opportunity to, to file while you have it. And so, um, yeah, I think some mixed signals going on here, but I, I just thought that this was really interesting um, information that, that came out where they're talking about there are an exceptionally high number um, of employment-based visas that are um, eligible this year. And a lot of us are going, yeah, we, we already knew that, right? I mean, tell us something we don't know, but then not only that, then they go on to, to literally say that there are going to be more visas available in EB-1 and EB-2 than there is for EB-3. And that leads me to draw a bunch of different conclusions, and I'm sure it does that for um, a lot of you as well. So 
Let's uh, let's get into the Q&A here. Um, wanted to ask you one more time, if you haven't already, please make sure that you like this video. Um, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and click the bell for notifications uh, so that you're notified anytime we post new content here to this channel. I uh, just would like to thank all of you who have taken the time here to join me this afternoon. I do have a really quick personal story I wanted to, uh, to tell you all. Um, Yesterday, I had a meeting at my son's school, and um, uh, my wife and I had a meeting uh, about some things going on at school. He's doing great, um, actually straight A's uh, this year, um, but it's an annual meeting that, that we have for him, and, and one of the teachers who works very closely with him after the meeting was over came up to me and uh, basically was like, do you have a YouTube channel? And I was like, yes, I do. I also have a website and both called the H1B guy. And it's the first time that I've actually been noticed out in public by somebody who I don't know, but she's seen some of my videos and her husband and her brother-in-law both um, are big fans of the platform and watch the channel. So I wanted to just to say thank you for your support. Um, I really appreciate it and really had a, a, a aha moment of the reach and the power of this platform um, and bringing a voice to, you know, the employment based backlog. Right. And the root cause of the issue and honestly how to circumvent um, H1B or, or not circumvent, but to to work through H1B sponsorship and how to maintain status and honestly um, how to do things the right way, right? And so that's one of the things that uh, that that we always try to talk about and strive for here on this channel. So it's nice to meet you yesterday, and thank you for all you do for my son. I really appreciate it. Um, but it was definitely an aha moment, and I wanted to just share that story with you all really quickly. Um, so then I think I got your question on the transfer of underlying basis applies to EB3 to EB2 interfiling also. Again, yeah, that's my understanding. Uh, maybe someone else in the chat can correct me. Hey, Yogesh, how you doing? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. Good to see you. Um, hey, Darshan, thanks for joining. I really appreciate you taking the time to jump in. Any predictions for EB2 data filing and filing dates for March and April? Yeah, I actually just started working on April uh, this week. So I'll be putting that out um tuesday of next week so february 1st i'm gonna put that out on february 1st since the 31st this week or next week is a monday um, you know typically i put them out on the first monday of the month um, or the first of the month so february 1st will be tuesday of next week um, so you can look for the h1b guy forecast for march 2022 next tuesday um but I'll just leave it at that. You can check out that video, which I'm sure you will. And then we can talk about it on um, another stream uh, at a future date in February. Any chance for, is that January 1st, 2014 will be final action for India EB2 uh, during fiscal year 2022? That's an interesting question. I mean, we've seen a lot of fluctuation in the time, right? It's one of the things I calculate all, all, all of the time, which is 
from your priority date to when your final action date is current. Um, we talk about that a good bit. Um, and I always use a, a, a pretty good range. So the question is, is, is how many of these numbers are USCIS going to process? You know, I've alluded to the rumors of potentially there being some sort of retrogression in April or May. But when I read USCIS saying, please, please transfer up to EB2 if you can so we can process your number, um, that, that says a lot to me. But if you're asking me uh, January 14th, um, January 1st, excuse me, 2014, if I am looking at somewhere around 3,500 days, I would say my best guess for you right now would be September 1st, 2023. So to answer your question, no, I don't think it'll be current during fiscal year 2022, probably looking at some point next year. Is India eligible for H-1B interview waiver program? Yeah, I actually had this come up um, in a conversation with a friend um, who I've been working with for quite some time. And, you know, when I read through what it says, it, it basically says um, there isn't anything that is country specific unless you are interpreting this different. On the travel.state.gov, uh, on that news release, um, it says, at the consular officer's discretion and are citizens or nationals of a country that participates in the visa waiver program. Um, so, again, I think that's what it comes down to are, are those two caveats. It's at the consular officer's discretion and are citizens or nationals of a country that participates in the VWP. Um, I was under the understanding that there was VWP at, at in India, but I, I could be wrong in that assumption. Um, but good question, Yogesh. Nazreen, again, as I, I think I addressed this earlier, I think two or three is highly possible. Um, for this upcoming year, fiscal year 2023. Hey, Gonzalo, how are you? Thanks for taking the time to jump in this afternoon. Do we know anything about the lottery results dates? Is it still being April 1st? Yeah, so I talked about this a little bit earlier, uh, Gonzalo, and what I, I said was um, back in November, I predicted a March 7th to March 25th portal opening for the electronic selection period. Um, based on some information and some of the comments on uh, some of my content on YouTube, it was alluded to that it could possibly be March 1st. So again, if we're looking at something between March 1st and March 7th, I, I still believe that the portal will be open um, through the 25th. If it were, if that were the case, you're, that's a little bit over three weeks. Um, if not a little bit more, but then what would happen is, is then on April 1st, which is actually a Friday this year, um, USCIS would been, begin receiving paper applications. So those are employers that have already kind of gone through the whole recruitment and posting phase 
and have all of the supple, supplemental documents ready to go, the I-129s um, and everything that sort of accompanies a new lottery case. And then they would begin, uh, they would do a FedEx overnight um, starting on April 1st. So the results, though, whether you're selected or not, you would know before that. So I'd say by March 25th, um, if you're put into the electronic portal by March 25th, if you aren't notified via your MyUSCIS account or your employer's not notified, you most likely weren't selected in the first round. So I hope that helps. Hey, sweet seller. Thanks for jumping in today. Good to see you again. Um, with so many visas available, why are they asking to enter file? They can as well move EB3 uh, and make things easier. I, again, I think that goes back to what I was referring to earlier and that's the whole spillover aspect and numbers usage uh, i was trying to find the video um it, with chats with charlie i think it was the episode seven or maybe episode eight where he shared the graph of uh the demand and the available allotment for this year uh for eb2 and eb3 eb2 had a gap where there was a, a, an amount of visas that would be available green cards um, whereas EB3, the demand significantly outweighed, uh, the, the allotment. Um, and so again, if we look at like the fall down, right, the waterfall effect of spillovers, right? Anything above that 140,000 starts at EB1, moves down to EB2. I think that this is really, to me, the only reasoning or justification that I can come up with for USCIS going out on record. Um, and, and saying that. So um, great question. Uh, again, we're going to continue to monitor it, right? If anyone's doing this, I'm, I'm really curious about it. Um, I know a lot of you have asked me about it. Hey, RRH, do you think that the processing of pending EB2 applications at Texas and Nebraska service centers will speed up to accommodate this request of new applications? It feels like it has to, right? These are the two service centers that have been getting beat up a good bit. And it feels like they are the two that have used, um, you know, COVID as the crutch, right? The pandemic as the continued crutch. Uh, I did a, I think it was on a live stream not too long ago where I talked about the Google ratings for both of these centers and they're atrocious. So USCIS has a lot of image cleanup to do over the next year. Uh, I think beefing up their, um, their employees in in texas and nebraska and increasing their processing capabilities uh, is going to be a very significant step for them in in this year um, and hopefully that this update right like this request to accommodate the the transfer of underlying um you know hopefully that's a a big sign of um of increased processing capabilities and i go back to USCIS has put it on record where they're saying point blank, we are committed to attempting to use all of these visa numbers. What does that mean? Uh, are they going to process 200 plus thousand this year? I, I would be very surprised if they did. But as I've talked about previously, I think the 170,000, 172, 175,000 that they processed for fiscal year 2021 um, I think that is a benchmark of the historical limit. Can they go above that this year? 
I know that it isn't maximizing all of the available numbers, but we're talking about historically high processing. Can they go above that? How close to 200,000 can they get? What does that 200,000 mean? Well, that means roughly 60,000 visas are going to be issued to individuals in the green card backlog. And hopefully we'll see some continued forward movement based on that. Hey, Finn, thank you so much for the super chat, man. I really appreciate it. I got your uh, question. Um, thanks for you know helping me with the audio as well. Really appreciate you taking the time to, to join my stream here today um, and supporting me here on this platform. Uh, as I alluded to earlier, I, I always utilize um, any of the funds that's used here through Super Chat or through the buymeacoffee.com to reinvest back in this platform. Um, you'll notice some of the lighting. Uh, unfortunately, it hasn't helped some of my internet issues. Um, although I run at a pretty high speed, there still seems to be some latency um, between Restream and, and YouTube. But thank you all and, and thank you. Then, man, I just really appreciate the support. Hey, Srinivas, how are you? Hey, Life on Leo. Um, if, if I have a master's degree from a U.S. university, will it affect my chances of getting EB3? I have an LLM, but I was also a practicing chef in my home country. So that's a great question. Um, actually, the deal with EB3, though, is it isn't about necessarily um, all of your qualifications, but more the job requirements. Okay. So, like, if the job that you're currently working under says, at a minimum, I require a bachelor's degree and three years of experience um, or a master's degree and three years of experience, right? That's when you can get into um, a little bit of the different categorizations amongst EB2 and EB3. So think about if, if your job requires a master's degree and three years experience, you could be looking at EB2, okay? Um, but Again, EB3 is kind of for all else, meaning um, degree requirements or minimum requirements are different. For that EB2, it really comes back to what's the minimum requirements? Well, it's a bachelor's degree and five years experience with specific tech or specific responsibilities that you're currently performing. Okay. You tried to get an H1B visa sponsorship, but could not so you started the eb3 process yeah that's the issue with the lottery right leo um is is that you've got three hundred and eight thousand for sixty five thousand spots uh, which puts it at a 27 percent probability of being selected um, and then you look at the application rates right which are somewhere around uh 70% from round one last year, 40% round two, and we'll be tracking what, what round three looks like. Um, getting an H-1B is not an easy endeavor, um, especially if you're you're competing in the lottery and you're one of those 300,000. Um, it, it definitely is, is something that um, is like winning the actual lottery. You talk about a, a one in 25% chance. Um, I think that that speaks volumes to, to how difficult uh, it is to, um, to, to be awarded, to have a petition filed, and to get approval. So, 
Um, I have a couple more minutes here. If anyone else has any questions or comments, would love to take the time to answer those. Um, just wanted to, to, again, thank everyone who's, who's taken the time to join here today. Uh, we talked about the H-1B lottery for fiscal year 2023, doing a, a preview around that and what that's going to look like. Again, um, you know, kind of some of the same discussions we've been having here, uh, which is um, looks like anywhere between March 1st and March 7th, the electronic portal should open. I expect it will remain open through March 25th. Those who are selected will be notified, I believe, by that date, giving an employer's, uh, you know, roughly six days uh, before USCIS will then begin accepting the applications on April 1st, um, which would run, you know, 90 days, right? So they'd have 90 days. Employers would have 90 days then from April 1st, um, which let me give you an exact date on what that would look like. I think that that would be some point in July. Yeah, so July 1st actually is 91 days. So June 30th is 90 days exactly. So from April 1st to June 30th, it looks like how long employers would have. Um, to submit for round one, <clears throat> my guess is that means by the end of July, very similar to what we saw last year, by the end of July, the second lottery would be held. Um, but, you know, who knows? Um, I think it's just something that, um, that, that seems to be really up in the air. But I'll, I'll go back to, you know, April 1st. Pour the uh, the paper application period 90 days opens through June 30th. Um, so if you weren't selected by the end of March and you're wondering a timeline on when you may be notified about the second lottery, I think, again, that's looking at the end of July, um, probably sometime between July 20th and July 31st. Okay. Um, so... Good, a lot of good questions here. Um, hey, Leo. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, God bless you. Appreciate you checking out my um, my, my platform and, and joining me here this afternoon. Thanks, RRH. You know, I, I think for those of you who followed me for any amount of time, I'm just going to give you my honest opinion. I'm not an attorney. This is not legal advice. If you need that, you need an immigration attorney. And I know several to which I can refer you to. Um, I track employment data um, and employment data surrounding the talent gap, wages, and a lot of it around work authorization for high-skilled immigrants here in the U.S. And so I'm going to talk about the real problems that I see in day-to-day -day and customers and clients that I work with on a daily basis. Um, and I'm always going to talk about the root cause until it goes away. And that is that 7% cap on employment-based preferences based on country of birth. Sweet Seller says, previously, interfiling was considered as hit or miss. Do you think it would be different this time? Yeah, I've talked about that. Um, you know, it seems to me like this interfiling wave has really picked up a good bit. We're still in, I just think, these unprecedented times, right, uh, where downgrade, upgrade, interfile, transfer based on an underlying basis. Everyone's trying to just take care of what they can to get as close to the money as they can. And what I mean by that is as close to a final action date. 
And so I think when you have USCIS going on record of saying, if you do have a pending I-140 in a different category and you qualify for EB-2 and your priority date is current, then you need to request it in writing. That's how I interpret it to think that it would be different this time and that you have until September 30th of 2022. So the entire remaining uh, term of this fiscal year to put that request in. So uh, right now, based on that, if you qualify, I think this is something that I would be doing. That's just my, um, it's my opinion. You know, you may disagree with that. Uh, you may say, hey, I've waited. I'm just going to ride it out a little bit longer. But I think if you can upgrade or transfer based on an underlying basis back to EB2, if you decided to previously downgrade sometime over the last three to five months and your I-140 still pending, then yeah, I'm absolutely taking advantage of this. Do we need to be employed after getting EAD, but not real green card? Yeah. So this is a, a pretty tricky question, right? Um, once you have your EAD, um, you know, it does give you a certain amount of freedoms. Uh, this to me is a little bit of a gray area. If I'm being honest with you, my best advice though, I'd be working. Um, I'd be working until I had that green card in my hand. But again, <laughs> how quickly is that going to be processed and how long are you in an EADAP status is is the question. Um, and that's that's the, the 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 one piece that nobody really can can answer for you. Um, but I, I think at the end of the day, this is this is kind of 50 50, but I'm always going to err on you definitely want to maintain employment if at all possible. Um, because if you think about what your EAD is, it's still temporary, right? Um, whereas it's temporary based on an employment based. Whereas once you have, you know, the actual GC in your hand, uh, while it has a expiration on it, it's called permanent resident, right? So Thank you all for all the great questions. I hope I was able to help you. Um, really just appreciate you taking the time this afternoon on your Wednesday to, to join me here today. Um, of course, if I can help you any further, you can connect me uh, and reach out to me on the h1bguy.com on the about page. Uh, there's a link to my Calendly. Um, you know, if you're not, please follow me on Twitter. Um, if you're into Instagram, you know, I post mugshots on there, as I like to say, please follow me on Instagram. Um, there's the H1B Guy channel on Telegram. Uh, of course, the H1B Guy podcast on Anchor and your preferred podcast platforms. If you wouldn't mind leaving me a rating there, would really appreciate it. Uh, if you're watching this or listening to this at a later date, you know, thank you so much for your continued support. Um so with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and uh, and wrap this up here today. I uh, just wanted to let everyone know that uh, today's live stream was brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. If you're facing an H-1B denial or OPT expiration, don't get caught off guard. Make sure you have a plan B and Syndesis and Path to Canada are your answers. If you're interested in finding out if you qualify, you can use the link in the video description below. And also on my website are banners for each of the individual um, uh, business units, uh, Syndesis and Path to Canada, uh, which are really for, uh, you know, employers, Syndesis more on the employer side and then Path to Canada on the individual side. 
Um, but my my good friend Mark Palavaplus uh, at Syndesis and Path to Canada um, would love to see if his team can help you. And also by my good friend Carl Balsmeyer at perm-ads.com. They are the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. If you're looking to reduce your cost and overhead associated with perm labor recruitment certification advertising, let perm-ads.com help you. Um, so just wanted to wrap up. Hey, thanks, then. Appreciate it. Yeah, I actually had some time over the last two Wednesdays to do these streams. Um, I don't know if I'll do next Wednesday, but I'll probably do the following Wednesday, which would be February 9th. I'll probably try to do it at 3 o'clock again. That seems to be a good time. I've done it at 2. I've done it at 1, but, but 3 seems to be a good time. So check back February 9th. Of course, I'll be putting out the H1B Guy News. Um for the week ending January 28th, 2022, sometime either Friday or Saturday. Oh, and <laughs> knocked over my water. Um, I just wanted to ask you all again, if you haven't already, please like this video, uh, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, and click the bell for notifications uh, so that you're notified anytime we post new content to this channel or go live like we have here today. On Wednesday, January 26, 2022 at 3 p.m. Eastern. Um, if you've made it this far, I just want to say thank you for all of your support. I cannot do it without you. Um, sweet seller, thanks for this awesome compliment, man. Um, you know, they're just my opinions. Uh, I have this really strange skill set and knowledge base. And... Um, I realized a year and a half ago that people like listening to hear me talk about this subject, and I'm really passionate about it. I love what I do. Everything that I've done in my career has put me to this point to talk about this, so I can't do it without folks like you and your support. So thank you. Um, but again, just one last time, to those of you who have made it this far, thank you so much. Uh, I'm Robert. I'm the H-1B guy, your global source for all things H-1B.